Psalm 131 puts before us humility before the Lord to not desire to do or to know what is beyond us, but be content to function under what God reveals, to not have a haughty heart or a haughty mind. And we see that today in our text. If you would turn to Luke chapter 6, Luke 6 will begin our reading in verse 37 and read to verse 49 to the end of the, to the end of chapter 6. In this reading, we will see, after we pray, that there are several differing themes that come together here at the end of Jesus' sermon, and they all interconnect and interrelate to his end here and what he would call his people to know. Let's ask for God's blessing. Lord Jesus, we come before you to read your word once given to your disciples and to those who stood before you on a mountain And on a flat place of that mountain, you declared what was the greatest sermon to be delivered as it is recorded in Scripture, as it was given by your own authority and might. And Lord, we pray that it would be instructive to us, not that we would examine it from our minds, but that we would feel it and sense the change in our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke 6, verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of, the ev- out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thus ends the reading of God's law. Thus concludes Jesus' sermon, or Luke's account of Jesus' sermon on the mount, and what he would have his people know. People of God, how many lives have been ruined by hypocrisy? How many churches have fallen apart due to pride? 
How many businessmen have lost their way due to an arrogance and a pride and a greed? How many well-known pastors have ended up in scandal due to their own proud teachings and their arrogant ways and manners, how no one could even work with them, how elders had to shield the congregation from how proud these men were, and the list can go on and on, how many are led into great danger and even a shipwrecked faith due to judgment, due to pride and arrogance, due to hypocrisy, due to not following Jesus as the only teacher. How does Jesus respond to these things, this fallen condition that we all participate in, we all understand, we all know? How does he respond to this? Well, what do a blind guide, a fruitless tree, a foundationless structure have in common? You see, we see all these elements coming together here. You have a call of not judging. You have this blind teacher. Then you have a fruitless tree, a foundationless structure. And and what's the point of it all? What is Jesus saying? Well, all of these things have in common that they'll result in failure and their doom is at hand. That they'll result in worthlessness. And that's how that judgment and that pride fits into all the above. As Jesus is ending his sermon here to the people, he's calling them to follow his ways. He's calling them to follow him as the only teacher and to do a bit of soul-searching themselves to determine not only are they arrogant and pride and proud, is that how they function? Or are they good trees that produce good fruit? Are they wise men building on himself and his foundation? Will they withstand ruin or will they fall? You see, in this section of Scripture, Luke closes his account and ends with warnings designed to point his listeners to the right path. And so not only are we called to avoid a heartless judgment ourselves, but we are called to avoid those who would teach us that. Those who themselves exemplify such pride and such arrogance and hypocrisy to avoid them. And it should result in us standing firm and producing fruit and thus withstanding the day of ruin. I'm going to give us a theme statement today. It's a bit more full than normal, and that's because we are pulling together all of what Jesus is doing here through each of these segments of the text. Here's our theme. Heartless judgment will condemn you, and it warns you from following teachers who practice the same. Instead, know your heart by your fruit. Obey your Lord and withstand ruin. I'm going to say that again. Heartless judgment will condemn you, and it warns you from following teachers who practice the same. Instead, know your heart by your fruit. Obey your Lord and withstand ruin. And we'll see that today looking at heartless judgment. That's verses 37 and 38. Looking at wise discernment in verses 39 to 42, and then needed soul-searching in verses 43 to 49. And then we start with that heartless judgment, verse 36. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. It's a very well-known verse, and often misquoted, often misused. You see, most want to take that verse and say it means then that you can't point out others' failures, that you can't point out what's wrong. And there's a slight truth to that, only insofar as the manner in which it is done, the reasons for why it is done. And that is what Jesus is addressing, in part, 
But this verse is often misquoted and misapplied that way because to obey Jesus' words requires wise discernment. It requires that we evaluate the actions of others. We can't even follow his wording in the text that we read today unless we do this. He talks about knowing those by, your, by their fruit and being able to evaluate, is, is this, this person producing good fruit? Is that what's welling up inside them and coming out? Or are they producing what is evil fruit? We're also called to understand and discern teachers. Is this teacher someone who's proud and arrogant and, and should be avoided? Or is this teacher humble and should be followed? This is, these are elements of the text that we see. This requires evaluation. It requires us to know God's law. It requires us to be able to say such actions are wrong. And what Jesus is doing here is he's not telling his people that they can't help each other, nor that they shouldn't go and confront others of their sin. There's plenty of passages elsewhere in Scripture that call a believer to do just that. Matthew 18 calls you to go to a brother who's in their sin and to do that in a good way and to try to seek their good through it. You see, we don't just rip this verse out of context and say you cannot judge, meaning you can't speak against sin or actions. But Jesus does give us this call, and it's one that reveals the hardness of our hearts and how we are so prone to judge in ways that is wrong and sinful, to set ourselves as high and mighty and superior, to look down on others as unforgivable, as worthless in their time, beneath us, or just to use them as props. What do I mean by that, just to use them as props? Well, so often others are just used by us to set ourselves above them or to be placed as a prop in a conversation so that we can talk about them in gossipy ways, to judge, to look down on, to make ourselves feel better about, about ourselves. They're props. They're, they're, they're there to be used. And in the process, we live in such a way where we judge everyone and, and we think, are we better? Are we greater than them? Are we morally superior to them? You see, that's what Jesus is saying is sinful and wrong. There's a difference between desiring the good of a person praying for them, help, trying to help them, or instead just using them so that we can feel better about ourselves, or just that we like to nitpick and be superior and exercise what isn't godly wisdom, but seems like it, as we can take God's word and apply it. But what it doesn't sound like at all is Jesus, who comes and is, is humble and lowly, who speaks to the poor and to the lowly, who is gracious and merciful. No, 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 it doesn't sound like that the way we can often use it. Instead, it is really what it is for us. It's a bat that we can use to bludgeon others and judge them. It's heartless judgment. We are called to discern what we are doing and whether it's in keeping with the Spirit of Christ or whether we're using it sinfully. What's commanded here in the positive is an attitude that is hesitant hesitant to condemn, not hesitant to be discerning, hesitant to condemn, hesitant to judge. You see, we evaluate, we warn, we can say such sins, such misapplied laws of God will lead to destruction. These will hurt you. We can tell a neighbor that, and we should, but we are not judges. We are not 
in the judge's seat. We do not have our gavel and we do not bang it and say, you're condemned. That's to Jesus. We point to him, but we do not judge. Only God is judge. We aren't to see people as without, as beyond God's reach. We are instead not to respond like the Pharisee in Luke 18, who said while in his prayers that he was thankful that he wasn't like this tax collector. That's the spirit that's being condemned here. Verse 37 warns against evaluating others with such harshness that the result is an unforgiving attitude. And that we find ourselves as a stricter, we could put in in scare quotes, more just God than he is. That our law is, is greater, and that if they don't reach our standard, then they're beneath, and beneath us. We're to refuse to judge harshly. You see, what's condemned here is the type of heartless judgment that will not allow us to give someone the benefit of the doubt, that will not allow us to, as we saw last week, exercise the golden rule and to treat others with that love as we would like to be treated. This usually happens when you are inflated with self. Are you? Are you inflated with yourself? Is it all about you? Is it all about your righteousness and your standard? Do you find yourself generally enjoying talking about others' mistakes or failures or problems from an attitude that says, you know better but doesn't show any true concern for them? Is that your heart? Because Jesus condemns that. It's easy to sit around and do that. It's easy to live our life that way. To make a big deal of the sin of another while we neglect the massive issues such as pride in our own hearts. The correct response is to treat others with forgiveness. And Jesus says those who forgive will be forgiven. And why is that? It's because they've wholly embraced the gospel. They know what they're forgiven and are willing to extend that to others. But if you're not willing to extend that forgiveness to others, do you understand your forgiveness? How could you? If you're unwilling to to treat others that way, unwilling to exercise that humility, then why would God be unjust to return that back on you? And to apply to you that same standard of justice and judgment that you bring to everyone else except yourself. With the standard you judge others, God says it will be returned to you. By judging in such ways, by treating others as if they've done something that can't be forgiven, but assuming you're forgiven everything. You see, the correct response brings great blessing. That's that imagery there about, it's really filling a bag with grain. That's the imagery that's put up there. The blessing of God fills that bag every square inch. So when we exercise the gospel and show such humility and love to others, it's returned back to us. And think of a bag, think of like a a, a bag that's underneath a, a grain that's being poured in. And as it's filling it, the person's shaking the bag so that all the grain gets down inside. And it's even spilling over. And the person's pressing it in and it continues to spill over. That's the blessing that comes to those who what? Exercise gospel love. Understand what they've been forgiven and forgive others that way and treat others that way. Do we expect God to look over our faults when we are too great, too holy to look over the faults of others? 
Jesus is saying here that a merciful heart is one ready to forgive and not judge and condemn in hypocrisy and pride, and then will receive back kingdom blessings that you can't even understand, that, that are, are outside of our comprehension how great the blessing is. That God is ready to treat those who act like him. That's the heartless judgment we see, but we also see wise discernment in our second point in verses 39 to 42. So Jesus gives that command about heartless judgment, and then he applies it in such a way that has a, an intent towards teachers, or at least to those who would set themselves up as teachers, set themselves up as those who are above And what Jesus calls them here is blind guides, blind men, and the destruction that follows. He tells them this parable, and its purpose is to show the foolishness and the grave danger of following the teacher and teachings that are built on a blind scale of this self-righteous hypocrisy. And it's really quite comical, isn't it? You can picture a blind man walking down a road, and there's, there's potholes and ditches, there's pits, and it must be avoided. And this blind man has no understanding and no sight to see the issues, and so comes this other blind man and, and guides them. Well, that's quite comical, really. What will happen to both these? Neither of them can see. And the one who's actually setting themselves up as a teacher is more foolish than the first blind man because he thinks he can follow he, or guide someone through it all, and he can't see at all. He can't see the dangers. He's blinded. And what you'll see as the explanation unfolds, what he's blinded by is a beam in his eye, a beam of arrogance and pride, of hypocrisy. He doesn't understand, and he can't see, and so he leads others into distress, into that pit. That's where he'll fall. Verse 40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher's. Teachers are very important. Teaching is very important, who you follow. A pupil will, will generally speaking, reflect their teachers and their attitudes, their understandings, what they've been taught. And in fact, a student can only go so far as he's been taught and build on what he's been given. Well, if, if he's been given blind guidance, well, what will happen to him? He'll fall into the pit. This is true of of anyone that we would seek to follow. Is this person a humble person? Is it a humble teacher? Are they gracious and merciful or anything but? That's why we began the service the way we did, asking if we've seen that, how, how many churches and pastors have seen themselves fall under such guidance, how many businesses have done the same. It's a fallen condition to follow those teachers who lead nowhere good. And as we'll see when in later in this text, you should know them by their fruit. You should know what they produce. And don't follow those who produce self-righteous arrogance and pride. This is also a teaching that would be applied in principle to the Pharisees of the day, to be warned against following those who have up to this point, when we've been in Luke, been nitpicking everything that Jesus has done, have been setting themselves up as superior to everyone. Jesus is saying to avoid that. And Jesus gives another picture, and that's the, the self-righteous hypocrite who's so interested in the faults of others that he can't notice. And the imagery here is of a piece of sawdust in their neighbor's eye 
when they're missing the support beam of the house in their own. Again, it's meant to be comical. It's meant to show that and, and to set it up as ridiculous. Ridiculous. Think of an eye doctor. When you get your eye exam and you sit there and they come up to you to look into your eye, if this person had a gigantic beam sticking out of their eye, would you have any trust for what they're saying? Do they even have the ability, setting themselves up as a teacher, to, to wheel themselves up on their chair and say, hey, you know what? You have a little piece of sawdust in your eye. Let me get that for you. Missing the glaring problem in their eye. That's the imagery. A piece of sawdust and the support beam of a house. This massive piece of timber and structure. And this would-be teacher, this man telling you that he can help there or wants to help, who is so interested in others' faults. And do you know people like that? Or are you a person like that? Where it seems like your greatest hobby is another's failure. That you want to be that eye doctor going to pick the specks out of everyone's eye without having evaluated your own heart and why you want to do that. And why even you think you're able and worthy to do that. As if you can see. You know what Jesus will say is that remove the beam and then you can help. So, you know, he's not telling us not to help others. He's not even saying that the specks of sawdust shouldn't be removed. But he's condemning those who in this self-righteous hypocrisy think they're the ones to do it and think that from this heartless judgment that says they're great and they have everything together and are thus ill-equipped to remove a piece of sawdust. When can you be those to remove a piece of sawdust from another's eye? Well, it's one who's, who's done the removing from their own eye, who's removed that support beam, and in the process been confronted with their sin, have had to respond in humility, who've had to seek others out to help them in their quest, who learned through suffering, who have gone through it. It's those who can help. And it's that process that brings the ability to see properly. Without that process of humility and understanding what the Lord has done for you, you can't. Not only will you harm yourself, you'll harm the person you're trying to help, coming with that spirit of pride. So you see in this parable, Jesus is warning to choose the teacher well. Watch who you follow. Watch who you follow in any area. We we may not be in the same situation. In that situation, a a student, a disciple, followed their teacher everywhere. They lived with them. They heard every conversation. They were soaking up their knowledge. They spent their days with them. Now, we may not be in that situation per se, but we do have that before us and who we listen to day by day and week by week. Who do we follow? Are, are Are they humble? And it's not lost on me, as I'm saying it as well, of of what that means for for elders and for deacons and pastors on how they are to lead. This is the mindset we are thinking in. What kind of person am I going to be? Am I going to be a heartless judger? Or am I going to be one who has first taken the microscope and looked at himself or herself and understood their sin and have sought it? And you know what that does in the process? It helps you come with compassion and mercy. It helps you come to another understanding. You don't just bludgeon them. You bring them to Christ. 
You know what a proud, self-righteous person does? Robs Christ of any glory. Destroys the mercy there. Because they haven't experienced it. They haven't experienced how lovely our Lord is. They haven't seen in humility how he welcomes the sinner to forgive. That's the humility we are to have. And without that, we set ourselves up as gods, as the ones who can can free them from their little problem. Watch who you follow. Watch who you listen to. Run from those who do not reveal the way of humility. How many radio shows and and blog posts and hours of podcasts and TV shows do we listen to of those who, in reality, maybe we align and agree with in certain ways, but are just dripping with arrogance, dripping with pride. Even in the way they treat others, you know, I've watched the, the, many of the conservative people who we, we agree with and like. And yet, you'll see the way they talk to others. You'll see the way they mock them, make fun of them, set themselves up as morally superior, and you want to say, why? You can speak the truth. You can evaluate it without, without putting yourself up in this position to mock. What is mockery? It's standing above and pointing down at someone. Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Watch who you follow. Watch who you listen to. Don't emulate them. Don't be a disciple who only goes so far as the one who's teaching you. We place far, far too much importance on gifts, on wittiness, on charisma, instead of on a humble fruit-bearing teacher. That's who we are to follow. And, And why? Because that's Christ. That's the whole point of what Jesus is doing here. Though we're applying it in a a worldly way to our earthly teachers, and that's the point, that's what Christ is doing, his answer is, yes, find these humble followers of men as well, but the greatest answer is that he's the teacher. He's the one to follow. That's what we'll see later in the text, in the fruit tree, in the foundation laying man. Where are you grounded and whose teaching are you following? It's Christ's. He's the humble one. He's the teacher. He's also the one able to remove the beams out of our eyes and the sawdust out of our eyes. That's who we are to follow. A humble teacher is the best teacher, and that was Jesus incarnate. A leader who is harsh, blunt, and unloving produces pupils who do the same, so watch Luke's point then here through Jesus, Jesus' point is to don't err, pick the right teacher. The obvious response is that one should not worry about the person with minor problems while one has unresolved major problems to face themselves. One should be self-critical before thinking about being critical of others. There are plenty of scripture texts that say the same. You know, if you think you have all the answers, you probably have a beam in your eye, quite frankly. If you can look at yourself and see no sawdust there and no, no issues, or, or that they're pretty minor, well, then you're blinded, you're missing it. The beam in your eye has so shadowed you that you can't see that we all have glaring issues. And if we don't know them yet, we just haven't found them. That's the humility we are to have. 
How quick are we to point to the problems of others and and justify our, our judgments? Those who are so quick to go from a humble confession to right back into the judge's seat. We emulate that too. We might recognize some sort of sin, and we might confess it, and yet it's like a split second from I'm humble and I'm contrite and I'm sorry for my sin to we're right back to ripping others apart. We're right back to acting in pride. That's what we do. It's not what Christ does. Before you go out and nitpick others, even before you go out and critique others, remove the beam from your eye is what Jesus is saying. But how do you do that? How do we concretely do that? Well, for starters, evaluate your motivations. Evaluate your motivations. Are your motivations for helping this person truly for God's glory and their good? Is that why you want to say something? Or do you want to say something because you just want to get it off your chest? Or, or because you're upset with that person? Or, they, or you think they've done something to harm you and that's it. And your only desire is to just get them back to a degree. What's your motivation to help them, to give glory to God? That's, we have to evaluate that first. Then consider the spirit in which you approach someone. Is it coming from that idea that you're a victim that wants to defend themselves or that you're superior and you're just inserting yourself in the situation to help? Have you placed yourself in their position first? Have you adequately determined the situation and got to know them? and understood why they're doing what they are? Or do you come rushing in thinking, I, I, I understand everything about them, I understand what they're doing, they're, they're in error. And you haven't even taken the loving time to get to know why they've done what they have. Consider the spirit in which you approach them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. We, we're all willing to give the benefit of the doubt. The problem is we give the benefit of the doubt to ourselves and not to others. Have you exercised patience? Have you talked with the person before judging the person? Have you sought their best interest in prayer? These are all the ways that we approach this rightly instead of sinfully. And so we are to exercise wise discernment. One of the verses we read from Psalm 119, or saying from 119M, shows what Jesus is getting at here. I'm going to read it. We sang it. It's verse 2. It says, I have more wisdom than my teachers, Lord, for on your laws I meditate each day. I have more insight than the aged ones, for all your testimonies I obey. What the psalmist is saying in a good way here is that he has more insight, more wisdom, more understanding than all of the teachers of the world, than even the aged of the world. And why? It's not because he's so great. It's because he has God's word in front of him. And he meditates on his law and his words and the insights of God. And the insights of God give to us a wisdom and a greater wisdom that's humble than what the world has. Wise discernment following this, following the teacher in this way gives to us that wise discernment. And finally, more briefly, needed soul searching. This is the the concluding text and those two illustrations Jesus gives of the fruit tree and the house on the rock. Both of these point to the goals of Jesus' words. 
So as we've already been looking at, we've been looking at the heartless judgment that will condemn you about warning teacher, following teachers who do this heartless judgment. And instead, now this is where we see these come in, know your heart, know their heart by your fruit and by their fruit, and obey your Lord and withstand ruin. These illustrations of the fruit tree and the foundation structure and the foundationless structure are meant to say, all right, here's the end of this sermon, and here's the command to follow and obey. Who will you follow? What teacher will you follow? Following Jesus should and will produce good fruit. Following him and his words will be the path so that you aren't a a bramble bush that produces thorns, but that you produce what is good and reveals a heart that produces that good fruit. It's being wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. Following Jesus and obeying his commands gives you a foundation that can't be shaken, a foundation that will withstand the day of ruin. Following blind guides, living self-righteously and hypocritically will produce a house that has no foundation and in the day of ruin will wash it away. So it's that final call, who will you follow? Whose teaching is right? And to soul search, examine yourself. Do you produce this fruit? Do you produce good fruit? And it's not just actions. It's your heart and your prayers and your desires the love with which you have for others, your words and what you say, all of these things, is is the fruit that's being produced Christ fruit? Or are they thorns? Are they products of blind guides? Is the house that you're building and in obedience to God one that will stand? Serves as a test as well for those teachers to be able to look to see are they producing the good fruit of the Lord or are they producing what is in fact wrong and proud and sinful. In verse 46, Jesus exhorts the listeners, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like a house whose foundation is so strong it will stand the ruin. That's the point. Jesus is ending his sermon that way because a decision must be made now. And the decision is ours as well. Are you following and will you follow Jesus' teaching or not? Will you look for the problems in yourselves and humbly judge them first? Will you forgive others who've harmed you? Will you exercise these things and produce good fruit and then see a house that will withstand ruin? The strength of the house isn't what the man built. And our strength isn't in ourselves. It's as surely as we're secured to the foundation that is Christ himself and following him and being rooted in his word. And in that way, we will be the humble followers of the Lord. Heartless judgment will condemn you, and it warns you from following teachers who practice the same. Instead, know your heart by your fruit. Obey your Lord and withstand ruin. Follow your teacher. Soak in all he has to say, imitate and mimic him, and thus you will be wise, discerning, loving, a child of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask for the blessings of this text, that we would be those to obey you and to follow you, that we would be those who would not judge 
with hypocrisy and slander, that we would not be those who put ourselves up as superior without understanding what we've been forgiven of. And we do pray that we would watch who we follow, that we would be as, as teachers, those who would be humble, and that all of us would be seeking then to bear the fruit of Christ, and that we would, we would be rooted and have a strong foundation in you that will withstand ruin, that will withstand the temptations of the devil, and that will even stand us through to the end. We pray this in your name.